When it comes down to it, most of life is about our relationships and our shared sense of community. Of course, that applies to our family, our friends, and our neighbors, but also to the people who are homeless and struggling with addictions. This may surprise you, but the simple solutions of handouts, bailouts, and housing don't create lasting change. Building relationships, living in community, and knowing Jesus are what truly change lives. Jonathan Anderson, the Executive Director of the Good News Rescue Mission here in Redding, California, has decades of experience creating the deeper relationships and true community that help solve homelessness and addiction problems. Now here's Jonathan Anderson with Justin Wandro. Hello, I'm Justin Wandro, the host of the Community Podcast, and I have with me today Jonathan Anderson. Jonathan, what are we going to be talking about today? Yeah, so we are talking about uh, homelessness here in Shasta County and, and kind of just the demographics of that. So what does it look like uh, to be homeless, whether you're sheltered or unsheltered living on the streets here in Shasta County? I think this is going to be a great conversation because when we're driving around town, we may see people occasionally, uh, might see someone at the library, might see a camp somewhere, and that's often what we think of as homelessness in our community but i think it's really a lot more than that and we want to dive into who it is that we see uh, who is experiencing homelessness and what's going on in their lives what some of their situations are so i think first thing jonathan we want to address is uh, i'm going to put some air quotation marks homelessness and who is homeless what does that mean and uh uh, what are we looking at when we talk about someone who is experiencing homelessness? Yeah, great, great question. You know, especially especially right here in Shasta County, I, I think there's a, quite a big misconception that surrounds the homeless population as a whole. You know, and, and first, I, what I really need to clarify for people is, you know, we have this sheltered population uh, that comes to the Good News Rescue Mission and might be in some other places around town. And then you have that unsheltered population, the the chronically homeless who are living in encampments here uh, in our in our city. Uh, even sometimes you might visibly see them sleeping in front of a local business, you know, a post office, something like that. And so what we're seeing at the mission is a sheltered population uh, what our community sees on the streets is that unsheltered population. And, you know, for us at the mission, we are going to serve uh, anywhere from 2,000 to 3,000 unduplicated people each year. These are people who want help. These are people who come to the mission to try to get that help. Um, and for the most part, these are people who are not living on the street and will not wind up on the street. Sometimes we have a little bit of a crossover, obviously. And then here in our, our community, for the unsheltered, you know, you're around three to 400 people who are actually sleeping on the street. So you're just about 10% of what the mission sees, maybe, maybe 12, 15% of what the mission sees, depending on the year, is the number of people that would sleep on the street itself. 85, 90% of the people who are experiencing homelessness are actually here at the Good News Rescue Mission getting help, um, which is which is incredible. That's, that's great. We love that. You know, out of all that, though, um, 
for the most part, you know, when people ask me, hey, what what's one of those What's one of those leading causes, those leading factors of homelessness? Why why does a person become homeless? Is it drugs? Is it mental health issues? Like, what is it? First and foremost, what I would say is there is a generational cycle of poverty. This is, you know, grandparents, even great-grandparents now, who learned how to become overly dependent on government welfare um, and taught their kids to become overly dependent on government welfare who taught their kids who are now teaching their kids. And so you have this generational cycle of, of people who have become overly dependent on government welfare, um, have lost any skills or ability to enter into and join a workforce, and as a result have lived in this kind of this cycle, this lifestyle of poverty. And that's the number one form of uh, this cycle of poverty that we see at the mission. It's it's grandchildren, it's great-grandchildren who are coming through the doors um, who have been taught how to just live off the government for so long. And so we are, we're trying to break that mentality, we're trying to break that cycle, and we're trying to teach people this these new life skills and social responsibilities to be able to really live in society in Western culture today. But... Second to that is that the issue with both a combination of drug abuse and mental health. And most people in our community are completely unaware of what I'm about to say next. It You see the effects, you see the outcomes on the street of the drug abuse and, and the mental health issues. You see that visibly. But what people don't realize is the vast majority of the homeless who are uh, abusing drugs or severely out of their minds, they started using drugs between the ages of six year old, six years old, and ten years old. That's when they started mm. using. And that is so hard for people to comprehend. How could a six year old child use heroin? How could a ten year old child use methamphetamine? How is that even possible in our society? It it blows your mind to think about that. When we surveyed the the population that we're serving at the mission, 80% of the people said they began using drugs between 6 years old and 10 years old. And not, not to get too deep into this, but that is oftentimes parents who are forcing a drug onto their child. It's, uh, it's family members who are forcing a drug onto their child and forcing for a lot of us, that that blows our mind. How how could anybody do that? Um, and that's usually around the six year, the age of six years old, uh, when somebody gets into their uh, pre adolescent and adolescent years. We see they willfully start to use a drug, and that is to escape the pain and the reality of a lot of the abuse that they have been enduring since their since their childhood. And so just just imagine that in your mind. There's a tremendous amount of abuse, whether it's mental abuse, whether it's physical abuse, whether it's sexual abuse. They're enduring this. And to escape the reality of what's happening to them, they begin to willfully use drugs. And, and now you have people with a lifetime, literally a lifetime history of you, you abusing drugs because that's their only way to survive in life right now. So 
anybody who's listening to this, I, I, I want to challenge you to think about this in your mind for a moment. You are driving down the street and you see somebody passed out in the gutter. They have a heroin needle in their arm. It's a 36-year-old male adult, right? You see that, and the reaction that most of us have in when we walk by is, is wow, man, I, I feel bad. I feel sorry. I wish this guy would just get a job, clean himself up, and not live his life like that. And then we drive by, and, and we think nothing else of it. Some of us have encountered this so long, especially business owners, you know, dealing with people passed out on their on their doorstep that we will drive by and we even have this disdain in our heart for them and, and kind of this disgust of, man, why do you have to keep doing that? Now you're affecting me and my quality of life, right? So many different emotions. But let me let me challenge you on this. When a person starts using drugs at six years old or 10 years old, Something kicks in called arrested development, which means whatever age that person started using drugs, their maturity level was stunted. Their growth was stunted at that age. And that person, though they're 36 years old today, they now have the maturity level of a 10-year-old child, of a 6-year-old child. They're going to think like a 6-year-old. They're going to reason like a six-year-old. They're going to talk, by and large, like a six-year-old. Everything they know how to do, how they care for themselves, everything is at the maturity level of this pre-adolescent child. Even though they are this 36-year-old person. And so now, as you drive by, if if you can imagine this, I want to challenge you. When you're driving by someone, don't don't view it as this 36-year-old with a needle in their arm. What if you were driving by and you saw a 6-year-old child passed out in the gutter with a heroin needle in their arm? I guarantee every single one of us would stop our car. We would get out. We would grab that child. We would wrap our arms around that child. And we would just shed tears. I'm so sorry that you are living this. I have no clue how you got into this situation. I have no clue how a six-year-old put a heroin needle into their arm, but I'm not going to let you go down this road. I'm going to take you home. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to get you help. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure you, at six years old, don't go down that road. Why don't we do that for the 36-year-old person? Well, because in our minds, that person should be able to care for themselves reasonably. That person should be able to have grown and matured enough to know, hey, that's there's a different choice in life. But remember that that 36-year-old has a 6-year-old mentality, a 10-year-old mentality. And they're not they're literally not capable of making those choices. If we as a community, if we as a society can grasp that, we can see that It will change the way we look at people, and then it's going to change the way that we interact with them. And when that happens, it's not just the Good News Rescue Mission that is helping people off the streets. It's an entire community, an entire society that is now investing themselves to help people off the streets. It's incredible. I see this happen all the time. But that first part is it requires a change of heart on our end as a community.
as mainstream society. So that's the first two major causes of homelessness that we see is one, the generational cycle, and then the drug abuse and the mental health issues that set in from a very, very early age. And if you uh, listen to our uh, previous podcast before this one, we talked a lot about community and the necessity for very healthy, robust community. You know, here in Shasta County, we have something um, called uh, adverse childhood experiences, ACEs, right? And we are one of the we are one of the counties in California that has the highest ACEs scores, the highest adverse childhood experiences. How does that six year old child go about living a life? addicted to heroin at six years old? Well, because that child did not have an incredibly strong, robust community around them that they could cry out to and say, hey, this is happening to me. I need someone to rescue me. They don't have that. And that's what we, that's what we need. We need that community, that strong community that can surround people when they're crying out and say, hey, I'm here. I'm safe. I want to help you. You're you're listening to me say this, but think about it. When you talk to friends, when you talk to family in our community, and the topic of homelessness comes up, what emotions start to well up inside of you and inside of the people you're talking to? Is it the emotion of, you know what, I don't want to let that person go down that road. I'm going to wrap them up in my arms and I'm just going to weep with them? Or is it the emotion of, man, I wish we didn't have to deal with this in our community. I wish somebody would clean this up. I'm going to challenge you on that. It's very hard. It's very tough. But it's the work of heart. And when we change our heart to that perception, amazing things happen. Amazing things. Justin could tell you about some of those amazing things. But I'm going to let him ask another question here. Oh, man. I I have kids. I have young kids. Nine, eleven. Um, and, you know, thinking about them and, and imagining them being in that, could be in that place and, and what that would do to me in my heart. And it, it makes me want to weep and, and really hurts to, to think about that. It's a very challenging thing. To think about the person on the street in the same way that I think about my child. And I think that, you know, when we look at God and God's relationship and his view of us, right, we're, we're children of God and he looks at us all as children. So when he sees someone, that's how he's seeing them. He's seeing them as his child. And yeah, that's, that is a real challenge to try and change my heart in that way. One of uh, one of the mentors I, I like to read is Dorothy Day, and one thing that she said was, uh, "We we we first need a revolution of the heart. It's not about hmm. it's not about what others are doing. It's not about um, what society is doing. It's actually first and foremost about what's in our heart, and." having that revolution in our heart that changes the way that we feel about other people. It's very hard. It's a very challenging thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Uh, One of my other mentors, uh, Chris Delaney, she would always say, 
um, in response to asking people to just get themselves together. You know, get a job, get yourself off the street, just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Well, right. Chris would always say, you know what, that's great for people who have boots. But many in our community don't even have boots to pull themselves up by. And we have to provide first the boots for those people so that they can have at least the, the basic level of support and community around them so they can start to work on those issues in their lives. And they can start to overcome those things that are holding them back. Now, you talked about yeah. you know, a couple of the most significant causes of someone ending up on the streets experiencing homelessness. But we also know that it's really not um, – there's no one um, picture that you can paint for everybody who is homeless. Everyone is so unique, and everyone's situation is so unique. Yeah. Are there um, – what are some other things that you have seen – and other ways that you've seen uh, people end up, you know, just with no support network. Yeah, yeah. Seeing that that that's so important. That's such an important key phrase right there. No, no support network. I mean, yeah. When when we are looking at this demographic, yeah, there that's the top two that we just addressed. But there's so many offshoots of that. And every single one that I have seen is always rooted in not having a support network that they can fall back on. And um, and I will just briefly say this. Uh, there was a psychologist, Dr. Pattison, who termed uh, this, who studied this and said that in order for a person to be healthy, not impoverished, healthy in their body, their mind, their spirit. You need at least 20 people in your support network that if you were in the hospital today, all 20 people could be by your bedside. If you have anything less than 20, you're impoverished. And the the, uh, least that you have or the less you have and you go further down the line, the more your mind starts to become unhealthy and you fall into serious mental illness at the same time. So, a healthy and robust social network. 20 20 people to surround you is what's needed. So, I see people, man, I I have seen medical doctors who have come through the Good News Rescue Mission uh, because, hey, they went through a divorce, they were dealing with highly traumatic experiences in their life at the time, Uh, they were just constantly around trauma, um, and they didn't have that robust social network. They had one or two friends who were really close to them, and that's it. And as they started to get into an addiction, there was nobody to help them out of it. And eventually they wound up on the streets with shame, so much shame that they could not reach out to anybody, um, and finally come to their senses. And five years later, now they're at the Good News Rescue Mission. Yeah, you would never think that there's going to be a medical doctor who is homeless, right? You, you wouldn't think so. We have so many people who have had master's degrees come through our doors, and and generally you don't you don't think about that. You know, one of my one of my favorite stories. I won't mention his name, but it was a gentleman who uh, was a contractor here in town, private contractor, uh, lost lost a lot of his family. Um, and his immediate family, 
and his extended family wasn't really wasn't really uh, close or or near to him, and so um, he had a lot of stuff start going on in his life, experiencing various forms of trauma, and um, somebody broke into his house and stole all of his tools. So he took out a loan from the bank and bought all new tools, and somebody broke into his house and stole all those tools. And so he tried to get another loan and he couldn't and he had no tools and he's trying to make it work, but there was nobody there to help him out. All of his resources were exhausted and he didn't have the social network to come back on and eventually he wound up homeless. Now he never slept on the street because he came to the mission, but it was so hard for him. And, and eventually, you know, I'm, I'm working with them and just ask him like, Hey man, I mean, are you, are you going to go back into the construction field? And he says, look, I'm so tired of having to buy all my tools. And then people rip me off and I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather switch to a different trade. And he says, you know, I've actually been thinking about heavy equipment operator. So I said, well, Hey man, let, let's, let's go check out Shasta college. And we go down to Shasta college together and enroll him into the heavy equipment class and uh and uh, we just say hey look if you're gonna do this why don't you stay at the mission the entire time you don't have to worry about housing food nothing like that so he lived at the mission for two years while going through the heavy equipment uh program um and once he got his license he started working and once he finally had enough money he moved out on his own and still today he is making a killing as a heavy equipment operator that's that's the other side of homelessness that we see as well. That is incredible to me, you know? And we see so many different stories like that. People you you wouldn't imagine. The one that breaks my heart the most, though, and what people don't think about is the kids. You know, mm-hmm. we have uh we we will have anywhere from 200 to 300 children come through the doors of the rescue mission every single year. And most people don't think about kids as being, quote, homeless. But they're going to live with us for six months to a year. Two to three hundred children, and we're talking kids under the age of five years old. The thing that breaks my heart the most is when we have a child who is, you know, in elementary school or middle school, um, and their parents, one of their parents at least, is here at the mission uh, going through some of our programs, trying to uh, get back on their feet, and the child is going to school, and here comes a school bus every morning to pick up a child from a homeless shelter, take them to school, and then drop them off at the end of the day with all their friends in the bus watching. It kills me. It breaks my heart uh, that a child would have to be dropped off at a homeless shelter every day from a school bus. But at the same time, I know that this is a safe place for them. It is it is a stable place for them. And our staff has grafted that child into our organization as a family member. And we treat every child and every person like they are our own family. And so that child has one of the best social networks growing up that that child can imagine. Because... We have 34 employees who are going to treat every child like that's our own family. It's It excites me for that reason, but it kills me and breaks my heart to know the life that they just have to experience at the same time. And That's a few. 
that's a few of those. Yeah, definitely. I think what I love about the Good News Rescue Mission and the team that's working here is that we get to treat everybody individually. Like you're saying, there's so many different situations, whether it's someone with uh, an addiction, whether it's someone with a mental illness, whether it's someone who just lost the tools for their trade, whether it's someone who um, was injured and couldn't work anymore, whether it's uh, you know, a mom with children, uh, whatever the circumstance, each individual can be treated and, and cared for, really, in the way that they need. And it's not a rigid, this is how it has to be. It's, hey, let's talk. Let's figure out, you know, what are the things that are, are stopping you from getting off the streets or getting out of your addiction or just getting things back together again? Let's, let's stop. Let's talk about those things. Let's figure out a plan. Let's help you through that. And that individual connection with our staff and with volunteers who come in and mentor and help watch the kids and help kids with homework, you know, that builds relationship. And again, what we've talked about before is it starts to earn trust and creates that community around people. And that's why I love so much. I think that is uh, one of the most important aspects of what we're doing for people here at the mission is we're creating that healthy community for them. And yes, we're, we're providing shelter and a safe place to sleep at night. But I think, I think really when it comes down to what is someone's quality of life, it's not completely about having a structure in a physical building. I think quality of life is a lot more than that. And we absolutely want everybody to be able to have a safe place and have their own home. But if you don't have community surrounding you and encouraging you and working with you, your quality of life is is not going to go up. And in fact, there have been studies that show oftentimes if you just give someone a house or a place to an apartment to stay, but you don't give them community, their quality of life will go down. Because yeah. even yep. even when they were maybe on the street or um, somewhere else, they they have a community that they surround. It might not be the healthiest community, but in, in some ways, it's people that they can rely on. And what you're talking about, relationship. Everybody has a deep need for relationship with other people. And if you take that away, if you remove people from any kind of community and just put them in a building, they're not going to thrive. And they're not going to do well. But if you provide community along with those resources, that's when you see people thrive. That's when you see people succeed. And, you know, really what, what I love to see here is people come through the mission. They get the help they need. They go back into the community and they're successful. And then they come back here to the mission and they mentor and they volunteer, they help serve meals, they're the ones that know firsthand how valuable and how important it is to have people who are willing to take a little bit of time and invest Mm. into others. Yeah, maybe they even join our board of directors. Maybe they even join our board of directors. 
let, let, let me say this uh, to this point that Justin is making. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, Mother Teresa, right? I mean, of all people to work with, uh, the impoverished, Mother Teresa. And she says, loneliness, loneliness, isolation is the greatest poverty in the world. I would rather be hungry than lonely. Think about that for a minute. What Justin just said, you can give people a house, you can give people a million dollars, you can give people any anything that we today can use in society, but you don't give them community, it was the most detrimental thing you did to them. And that's that's what we call toxic charity. It is all about all about community that you have to infuse around people in order for anything else to to support them. It's the foundation, it's the bedrock. You know, in with COVID and all of the lockdowns, people just in general everywhere, whether you're homeless, experiencing homelessness, or you're not, um, everyone is experiencing on some level this loneliness and separation from others and individuals. And we have seen nationally the numbers for addiction and um, death by overdose skyrocket in the last 18 months. And the the rates of depression have skyrocketed over the last 18 months. And it's because of that very reason, because we're we're separated and we don't have our community around us supporting us. It's such an essential part of who we are and how God created us. So I think... As we wrap up our podcast today, we know that community is so important here at the Good News Rescue Mission, but I think it's also important outside the Good News Rescue Mission as well. Yeah. What are what are some things or maybe a challenge that you can give to people who are listening to in their in their circle and and their friends and the people that they see? to make sure that we are creating a strong community with each other. You know, uh, with everything that we have gone through with COVID, uh, with politics, with media, with elections, uh, everything, there has been such a polarization within our communities, within our families, within our friends, such a polarization. And, um, and that polarization is so against the nature of what God created us for, which is relationship. And so I, I just want to I want to challenge people, you know, in your own circles. There you have family, you have friends. Sometimes you're offended. Uh, you know what? You need to reach out to every single person in your network, and you need to let every person you know, you need to let them know you love them. You love them. You forgive them, you are there with them, no matter what differences you may share with people, it is those people who are your foundation, first and foremost. And so my challenge, reach out to everybody you know and let them know you love them. And in return, if they have issues that they might be struggling with in their life, you are the safety net for them. No matter what differences you you share, you're the safety net for each other. If you don't have that, that's how people start winding up at the mission. So, who are you going to tell that you love today? 
Great. That's an awesome challenge. And I think, I think that that's something that will help. And I think there are people in our community and there are probably people, you know, who maybe, you know, they, they aren't as willing to be vulnerable and reach out. And it takes sometimes us just with a simple text or a phone call or a coffee meeting to make that connection and help them so that they don't go down the road of depression or addiction or whatever else may happen to them. So thank you for that challenge. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to today's podcast episode. And if you would like more information on the Good News Rescue Mission, you can go to our website at gnrm.org. And be sure to give us some feedback on your podcast app. Give us a rating or a comment on there. And if you'd like to send some feedback directly to us, you can send it to my email address. It is justin at gnrm.org. And we'd love to hear your feedback and what you think about the podcast. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, we hope to see everybody or talk to everybody at the next podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. To learn more about the Good News Rescue Mission, please visit our website, gnrm.org. Also, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We appreciate it, and we'll catch you in the next episode.